So this morning, we are finishing up our series covering the first four chapters of the book of John. And then we'll come back to the rest of John at a later time. And we're going to be in chapter four today. Uh, I have no slides for you today because I had an argument with my laptop and the laptop won. So there's no slides. So I'll try to repeat any main points. Uh, but I encourage you to open up the Bible, John chapter four, go to the middle, go to the right until you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to start in verse 46. Um, you can follow along in the Bibles, in the seats in front of you, if you don't have one as well. Now, last week, uh, we saw many people come to believe in Jesus, uh, partly because of the testimony that came from the woman at the well. And we've been studying that conversation for the last few weeks. Now, this week, as we end up chapter four, we're going to see Jesus leaving Samaria, and he's going to be heading back to Galilee, and this is Jesus's homeland. Nazareth was in Galilee where he was born and grew. And so he's going back there and we're going to see him meet with a government official who had a desperate need. So with that context, I'm going to pick it up here in verse 46. So he, speaking of Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee where he made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Now when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee... He went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him, which is about one o'clock our time. The father knew that the hour, that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning, we're talking about faith because that's what this passage is about. It's, it's about faith. And this is something that every single one of us should want to talk about, to, to hear about, to explore because every one of us lives by faith. Now, people who don't believe in God like to in my experience, criticize people of faith without ever realizing that they live by faith just as well. They just choose to place faith in themselves as opposed to placing their faith in God. They choose to trust their feelings, their perspective, their instincts. Whereas a Christian would say, I can't trust my feelings. I can't necessarily trust my perspective. I can't necessarily trust my instinct. And so I'm going to place my faith in God who I can trust. Now, sometimes people will live their entire lives never placing their faith in God, sadly, and they will keep it in themselves. And other times... There are people who, whether young or old, will one day decide and realize and have their eyes open to, 
that God, the God of the Bible, is the only one worthy of their faith. And, and, and so that's what they'll start to pursue. That's how you start to become a Christian. You, you believe and realize he's the only one worthy of faith in your life. But for some, it takes something major in their lives to wake them up. Maybe a tragedy. Uh, it could be uh, an illness. It's something that is so big and so overwhelming that no matter how much or for how long they've placed faith in themselves, they realize that this is far too big for them. And, and so they desperately look for help in something greater. Some of you here today might be here for that reason because you're, you're desperate to look for something bigger than yourselves because you realize what you're going through. It's too big for you. You're looking like this official for a miracle, a sign in your life. And if that is the case, you're going to want to take note on how Jesus responds to this official's request. He gives him a very unusual response in verse 48. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And Jesus has a habit of giving very unusual answers to people, doesn't he? Like, that's kind of mean, sun dying and you... He's talking about his faith. Now, even though it says Jesus said to him, the, the Greek word here for you, it's, it's, a, it's a plural. It, 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 it's, it's a plural form. So it's like Jesus is speaking to this one guy, but he's also speaking to everybody else around him. You ever done to that? You're speaking to one person, but you're really speaking to everybody. If you're a parent of multiple children, you do this pretty much all the time, right? Now, why would Jesus respond in this way? Because it feels a little rude. It's a weird response when someone's asking for help. Well, based on what we've read about Jesus and the rather the Gospels, we see like it seems like he's noticing something in the hearts of these people. There's something off there. And, and you remember in Scripture, Jesus is always concerned about our hearts. Talks about it time and time again. He's concerned about what's going on in here. In fact, if you go back a couple chapters, we, we covered this a few weeks ago. In verse 23, it says this, uh, chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name, and they saw the signs that he was doing. But listen to this in verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. In other words, they were believing in Jesus for the wrong reasons. They wanted Jesus to give them what they wanted. He wanted they wanted signs. They wanted wonders. They wanted him to do miracles. And we still see that desire today. You, you see churches that just will talk about healing services. And they'll call to God for a miracle. Give me a miracle. Give me a sign. In fact, you remember this. I know I'm not the only one who done this. And if you haven't done this, you're probably lying about it. But you ever ask like God to do something to show himself to you? Like I had a buddy, I remember once he told me when he was young, he was like, God, please move the chair across the room. And he, he said he took his arm out like this, as if it would move. Now I remember I've told you guys this before. I'd be at a stoplight when I was young, and I'd be like, Green. Green. And then, of course, after 19 times, it'd be like, it would turn green, and you're like, yes, praise Jesus! Like, like if Lord, if you just give me a sign. 
The problem is that I see in Scripture and that what I've experienced in my life, especially because I grew up partly in a Pentecostal church and we are all about signs and miracles in Pentecostal churches. Come on. No, okay, no one feels me here on that one, all right? Fair enough, right? Is it can lead, it can lead to a misguided understanding about God. You know, and you see this where, where this gets out of hand in the prosperity gospel, where God is here to bless us and to do good things for us. Now, God is here to bless us. He is here to do good things for us, but it's not always on our timetables. And frankly, I have learned in my life that we don't always understand what blessing looks like. We don't even always understand what is good for us. You, you, you take somebody who struggles with a physical illness and they will pray for God to heal them. There's nothing wrong with that. But what if that illness makes them a better person? I've read stories of people who became ill and they became better people on the inside because of it. What if because of that illness, God is able to display his glory through you? What if because of that illness, it prevents you from a greater evil down the road? Or, or sometimes we pray for a financial miracle. You, and, and, you know, Lord, just bless me financially so I can bless everybody else. I know a lot of y'all prayed this, Lord, if I win the lottery, oh, Lord, I will give so much to the church. I'll just keep, like, this small amount for myself, right? Right? But how many stories have we read about people who, who receive financial windfalls and lotteries and they destroy their lives? Or how many people have prayed for, for promotions and greater paychecks only to become focused on their work, that they ignore their families, or to get so much money in their lives from their promotions, they buy these toys and they forget about God and their duty to the church. We must have the humility to say, man, I don't always know what's the best for me. Now, another issue is that when our focus is on signs and wonders and God coming through, it creates a real superficial faith, Right? Because I put all this belief in God, and if he just does this, if he just shows up, like I talked about earlier, but in a serious way, and then he doesn't, well, God must not love me, or God must not be there. And I watch people walk away. But some people are like, man, it's not even a matter of that. If God would just show me that he's there. I've talked to people when sharing Christ. If he just did this in my life, I'd be a follower if he would just show me that he is there. I'd be his follower. But would they? Would we if it was just based on a sign? There's a story this professor said, uh, I can't remember his name. He, uh, he worked or did work at uh, Fuller Theological Seminary. And he started out as a pastor and he said that when he was early in his pastorate, there was a young woman who became criti critically ill, and, uh, and she was expected to die within a year. And her families were, were creasters. You know, they came at Christmas and Easter, and that was it, right? They were creasters to the tail. And so it, w it actually opened up some great opportunities in the hospital when, when they were meeting to talk to them about Jesus. And he said at one of the conversations, one of the women challenged him and said that, listen, if Jesus healed in the Bible then he should be able to heal right now. And if he can't heal right now, like, 
And, and he said he didn't, she didn't mean this in a, in a rude way. Like, what, what good is he? And so they prayed. They prayed, the pastor prayed, the family prayed, they begged and they, they bargained and they pleaded. And if God would just heal this woman, they would recommit their lives to the Lord. They'd be at church every Sunday, they would serve him. And so the pastor jumped in, he prayed, he didn't do any of this if it's thy will stuff. He just, boom, he believed that she was to be healed. And, and to his amazement, he got healed. She got healed. And then one day, with the physicians just like shaking their heads, she was sent home from the hospital. And then the next Sunday, right in the front row, dressed to the hilt, dazzling entire family was there. And she got up, she shared her testimony, people praised God, screaming out. Next Sunday, they were all there, and you probably know where this is going. A month later, it was just the mom and the dad. And by another month later, they were gone, back into their creaster role, Christmas and Easter. I mean, here's a family that experienced the most dramatic sign that God could give, something most of us have just prayed for, healing for us or for somebody else. They actually experienced it. Like, they learned God was real. Like, there's the sign, there it is. But only after two months... That power, that sign, that miracle diminished to no effect in their lives. Like, I'm like, how, how is that even a thing? Like, most of us, we think if God did a miracle in our lives, we'd be in church every Sunday. We'd, like, open up extra services. We'd serve in 19 ministries. We'd be on the street corner telling everybody about Jesus, door-to-door, what have you. And yet, this family's fell right back into it. And he goes, you know why I think this happened? It happened because they didn't understand what they really needed. They felt that they needed a sign. They needed a miracle. But what they really needed was a savior. You know, and I see this often as a pastor because I, I deal with people in the hardest times of their lives. Um, that there's this superficial faith when they come to God just because they want something from him. I even see it in bad situations. Like how many people will come to a funeral, like, right? And, and they will feel grief and, and sadness in that funeral. And, and, and then I'll see them come into church the next week or the next two weeks or the next couple months. And then once they start to feel better, to feel comforted, to move past the grief, they're gone again. Why? Because they got what they needed from God. You know, I even see it people who, who like, they feel guilty for not coming to church. So they come to church or they read their Bible or what have you because they felt, or, or, or they serve because they feel guilty. And then as soon as that guilt is subsided, they're done because they got what they needed. You see, the problem here with Jesus and this official and the people around him. It seemed to be that the interest was not in Jesus himself, but it was something to be obtained through him. But based on what I read in Scripture, I feel like Jesus is like, don't you know I have something so much greater for you than a miracle? I'm here to reveal to you who God is. Your need for a Savior. 
your need to be saved from your sins. I'm here to give you the hope of, of heaven, to give you a, a purpose in your life. But those things can't be found in a sign. They can only be found in the Savior. I mean, why are you here this morning? Is it because you understand your need for a Savior? Or is it because you're looking to get something from God? Now, I want to make it clear. It's not wrong to come to Jesus because of a crisis. Listen, I'm for whatever it takes to get someone to look to Jesus. Like, whatever it takes. Because a little pain and suffering here is a lot better than a lot of pain and suffering in eternity. Whatever it takes. But you can't stay there. It's like when you, when you date somebody. When you first start dating someone, you date them because something that they give you. And individual things that you like. You know, like if, if a guy, you know, dates a girl that's way above his league, right? You know, he's rocking a five and she's rocking a nine. And he's like, I, I, I like how people look at me when someone who looks like you likes me, right? I like that you give that to me. Or, or, or you know, when you see like maybe a, a girl that sees a man and, and you say, well, well that's a hardworking guy. It'd be great to marry somebody with, with such a successful career. Or on the flip side, when I started dating Maria and I knew she was going to be a nurse, I'm like, man, having a nurse as a wife, saving on medical bills, <laughs> she can take care of me when I'm old, when I have kids and they complain about not being able to go to school, she can call them out on it. Like, you're all of these things, right? Hi, honey. Sorry. I always tell her I'm not going to bring her up, and then I do. I just can't help myself. It's because I love you so much. Right? You have these things that are attractive to you, that, that, that stand out, that they give to you. But for it to ever become a deep relationship, everything that it's meant to be, you have to move past that and to eventually love them for who they are in their totality, not just the things that they give you that you like. That's not a real relationship. And because, and we'll talk about this more later, not everything that Jesus gives us we like. So I see that struggle here. Jesus saying, look, you don't need a sign. You need the Savior. That's what you need. You need me. Let's see how the, the, the official response and what, what other truths we can pull out here. And so John says, Jesus says, look, you, need, you see signs and wonders, you won't believe if you don't see them. And the official, he doesn't say how he really replies or how he felt, but he says to him, what John records is like, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus says, go, your son will live. And Jesus, in his grace, even where the, the official is at, in his faith, he says, look, your son is healed. You know, and I, and I like I don't know what happened in this interaction, if something changed or, I, I, don't, I don't know, but I love how the official responds here. It says that he believed what Jesus said and he went on his way. Jesus said, your son is healed. Okay, thanks, and went on his way. It's not like, it didn't say the official like double-checked with Jesus, like, are you sure? 
Yes, he's healed. Like, are you sure? Did you get the right one? He's the blonde hair, freckles. You didn't get the wrong house on accident. Maybe you should come back and just check. Jesus spoke, and the man believed. Man, I would love to have that said of me. That I take Jesus at his word. Man, wouldn't you love to have that said of you? That you are someone that takes Jesus at his word. That when I read something in the Bible, I'm like, okay, God said this. This is true. I'm going to do it. Can you imagine how the outlook on our lives would be different if we took Jesus at his word? The anger and, and the depression and, and the bitterness in our lives and the fear and the anxiety. It would whoosh if we took Jesus at his word. That when he says in John 6, I am the bread of life. That whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Speaking about our spiritual thirst. In other words, I am everything that you need to understand where you came from, why you are the way you are, who you are called to be. And I have everything that you need to be who you have been called to come, become. However you put that, you know where I'm going. Like, and so I'd pour, if I believed that and took Jesus at, at his word and I'd pour my whole life into that scripture, how things would change. Or Matthew 6, where he said, man, don't worry about everything. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his right ways, and all these things that you worry about will be added unto you. All the things that you need, not all the things you want, all the things that you need. What if I took Jesus at his word when I read that? How would that change my life? My franticness, my, my worry, my trying to, to make everything happen instead of trusting in the Lord. Now, I feel like most of us, if someone were to come up to you, and this is me included, and say, do you take Jesus at his word? Have you been in church any time? You're like, yes. Yes, I do. Right? But here we actually see evidence of what it looks like to take Jesus at his word. Scripture says in the response that this official believed him and then went on his way. He went on his way. One, of the, one preacher, favorite preacher of mine, but I can't remember his name for some reason, he gave me like the, one of the greatest definitions of faith that I love. He says this, real faith is belief with legs on it. Don't miss this. Real faith is belief with legs on it. I find that so cool. That means that when we read something in the Bible, we're like, okay, I believe this, and because I believe this, now I'm going to do this. And then we do it. No matter how hard it is, no matter how much we really don't want to do it or it makes us uncomfortable, or we're scared or fear or hesitation or whatever, we're going to do it. Now, some things we might move a lot faster than others, but we start moving. Belief with legs on it. You know, and, I'm, and I was praying this morning as I was preparing, I was like, Lord, when I talk about this faith, belief with legs on it, I pray that the people listening to this message, if there's any area of their life right now where they're not putting legs to this belief, that God would just boom, put it right in their minds. As they sit there in the seats, as they listen, it would just boom, they could see it. They could feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now you need to put legs to that. Now, as I was studying this, I was like, you know, but as I look at this, like, this is kind of easier because this guy had the promise of healing. That's a good thing. So it makes it easier to put legs to it. 
But then I thought, I thought about Romans 8, Romans 8, that says God works all things together for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, everything. So that means no matter what you're going through, as you put your eyes on him, as you put legs to that belief, as you move in faith, you're obedient in faith, God's going to work things together for good. Even if that good is not something you see till eternity, or even if that is good in a changing and molding of your heart. Because too often, we only want to do the hard things God asks us to do, or walk in faith, if we can see the outcome. And man, I've seen a lot of this in marriage counseling. So many marriages are struggling. And like, and I'm like, and I always say to them, like, you got two choices when you come to your marriage. One, do you believe in God or the Bible? If so, you have to decide if you're going to honor him in your marriage or not. Treat your spouse like scripture tells you to. And they'll often, people will often struggle and be like, well, but there's no hope for them. They're not going to do anything. They're not going to change. Ah, uh, Bible doesn't, uh-uh, no. Your faith is in God, not in your spouse. So you are to honor God in your marriage, regardless of your spouse. And God will work all things together for God. Your spouse may divorce you. Your spouse may not change, but God will use it. You don't know how, but that's where you got to take God at his word or not. I've talked to children who have went through divorces and, and, and marriages that didn't recover. And they said, you know, I remember it's so hard and it's horrible and I wish it never happened and it was tragic, but I remember how my father acted or how my mother acted. They didn't badmouth you know, they did not badmouth my other parent. They did their best to love him through that. They weren't trying to get the divorce. They stuck with it. And it spoke to their children. God can bring good out of everything. We need to take him at his word. At his word, not anybody else's. Not what we can see. I mean, and this is what this man did. Like, right? It's like Jesus didn't say, look, your son is healed. And then Jesus pulled and said, you know, to the official, hey, give me your iPhone, right? You know, look at his iPhone and say, look, look at your ring camera. See your son's up walking around. This man had no evidence that what Jesus said was true, right? So he had to trust Jesus. And sometimes that's hard because it goes against our sinful nature to trust someone other than ourselves. It goes against our nature. I, and I was thinking about telephone pole workers. I used to know one. Have you ever seen a telephone pole worker? They have these spikes on their feet. Anybody ever been on a telephone pole that works on a telephone? No? Okay. You know, they have spikes on their feet, and they have this brace that goes around them. And for them to stay and do their job, they have to lean away from the pole. You've ever seen them? If you're like me, I would be hugging the pole. I would love that pole. I'd be kissing. I'd just about all over that pole. And what I want to do, I wouldn't be able to do my job, and I'd be ending up with a bunch of splinters. For me to do my job as telephone pole worker, I would have to lean back and trust that equipment. In the same way, we have to trust God and trust what he has given us, even if we can't see what's happening. I heard this funny joke about a man who was in the, uh, uh, he was in the uh, canyon, uh, Grand Canyon, and he slipped and fell, and he's hanging by a, a branch. And he was losing his grip, so he looks up to God, and he's like, he's like, God, help me. 
God looks down and responds, I'm here, I hear you. Just let go. And after a moment pause of thinking, the man looks up, is there anybody else up there? Right? And then what he couldn't see because of the mist is that there was a ledge below him. Right? You have to decide when your faith, are you going to trust what you can see or are you going to trust what God can see? And, and, and there's something beautiful that happens when we trust God and what he can see. We find rest in his words. We find rest in his words. Because when things don't go according to plan in our lives, we get frantic, we get anxious, we are not full of rest. But we can find rest in his word. You may not notice this, but this man did not head back. The official, he didn't head back right away. Because it, it says that when he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them, what hour did he get better? And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, which was one o'clock. That means that he didn't go back the same night. He stayed there in the town where Jesus was. Now, I don't know why. Maybe he was tired. But as a parent, if I know that my son or any of my children is on death's door, there is nothing that's going to stop me from getting to their side. Nothing. I don't care what it is. The only way I'm not going to feel that urgency to go is if I know that they're going to be okay. I'll still want to see them, but the urgency won't be there because I can see them tomorrow because they're, going to get, they're getting better. The only way he could resist that if there's some kind of assurance that he had that his son was better. It's a beautiful verse in Psalm 37. I think it's verse, verse 5. It says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust it in him. He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I love this. He's going to bring forth your righteousness as the noonday. Have you ever thought about that? The Lord says, rest in me. It's just like the sun coming up. You can't hurry the sunrise, but you can't stop it either. The same goes with God. Isn't that good, church? Isn't that good? I think that's why Isaiah says, I think it's Isaiah uh, 28, 16, he says, whoever believes will not be in haste. And it's so important that you learn to rest in God's word. That's why we always talk about it. You can't read it like a newspaper. You have to read it and say, all right, what does this tell me about God? And what does it mean for me? Because if you don't learn to rest in God's word, if you don't take the time to rest in God's word, you are going to be blown about in life. You are going to be stampeded by all kinds of things in life that will rob your peace and your joy. You have to have a grip on God's word. Only in reading it, having it memorized, because otherwise you are going to live by emotions, you are going to live by your feelings. You are going to live by your past and your hurts. On the flip side, you're going to live by visions and signs and wonders and dreams. Now, not that God can't use visions, signs, and wonders, 
But we also have a habit of seeing what we want to see. And I say this because sometimes Jesus has a different answer for you than what you want. I mean, Jesus is in Santa Claus. I mean, this official comes to him, my kid is dying. And he's like, you got your faith in the wrong place, buddy. Like, he is not afraid in his word to call us out by his spirit. I remember in the Chronicles of Narnia, when the kids, which is an allegory for Christianity, when the kids learned about the great king Aslan and they first found out that he was a lion. They're like, ah, he's a lion. Is he safe? And the guy was telling them about Aslan and said, no, he's not safe. He's good. He's ultimately good. And he is the king, but he is not safe. Jesus Christ is unpredictable. He's uncontrollable. He doesn't change for our whims. He's incredibly good, but his goal is not to bring us safety in our lives. He knows when we need a slap in the face. He knows when we need to be comforted. He knows when we need struggle in our lives. It doesn't mean he causes every struggle, but it doesn't mean he's going to save us from every struggle. He knows when you need reassurance, which he could have easily done for this official, but didn't because he knew he needed something else. He knows when you need to take a long journey like this official probably did and be sick to your stomach. Faith in God, it it grows strong. Scripture talks about this and, and beautiful in the same place and in the same way that gold does in the furnace of life. Remember? Remember Paul? Tim referenced this passage in 2 Corinthians. He said, I got this thorn in my side. We don't know what it was. And like he prayed three times, Jesus, take it away, take it away. I need a miracle, I need a miracle, I need a, I need a sign. God's like, no. Nope, that's not what you need. What you need is to feel that weakness. Because if you feel that weakness, then you're going to feel my strength. And my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul's like, which is better man than I am, because he's like, fine. I'll bring it. Give me all the weakness you want so that God's strength may be perfect in me. Now, some of us struggle because we look at someone like Paul. We're like, dude, that was a guy of faith. He wrote most of the New Testament. And we're like, I, I, I know these other people who have faith and like they have this faith. Like it's a talent that some of us have and don't have. But that's not how faith works. We all have faith. You have no lack of faith. You have ample, ample faith. The question is if you're going to put that faith in God or yourself. That's it. It's not I don't have faith. It's where you put your faith. And any time that we're not putting faith in God's word and what he says and putting legs to it, and we say, I just don't have enough faith, what it is is this excuse. It's like, no, I feel more comfortable putting faith in myself and handling things and responding to things the way that I want to. You have to make a choice. Where do you want to put your faith? And you're like, if you're like, man, I want to, I want to put my faith in God. I just, I don't know. I don't know how to do it. There's a beautiful story in Mark 9 that 
tells you how to do it. There's this guy, a separate guy from this story. He comes to Jesus, and he says, please heal my son. And Jesus says, all things are possible to him who believe. And the man says, I'm trying to believe. He says, help my unbelief. So what does Jesus do to help his unbelief? He heals his son. When we call out to God, when we say to God, I don't have enough faith in you. It's in me. Help me. That's an act of faith. Because you're recognizing your shortage of faith in him and you're looking to him. Help my unbelief. Listen, God's ability to work in your life, it's not dependent on your amount of faith. It's dependent on the object of your faith. If I take a chair up here, it doesn't matter whether I believe that chair is going to hold me or not hold me. It's either going to hold me or not hold me all on its own. So whether I plop down on it or whether I'm like slowly going down on it doesn't change its ability to hold me. And in the same way as we come to God, the greatness of our faith or our lack thereof of our faith doesn't change his ability to move into our lives. And so my prayer will be, wherever in your life you have to put legs to your belief, whether you're running in response to this message or you're just slowly sitting down, that you will continue to keep your eyes on him. You will take him at his word and you'll put legs to that belief and you will see the healing that he brings to your life. Amen, church?